Welcome to Let's Talk Sales, the podcast that's all things sales and business development. This podcast is brought to you by the Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program. The Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program is a year-long engagement where we become embedded in your sales organization to accelerate growth. We work with everyone from leadership to the most junior sales reps to create methods and processes that work best for selling your unique product or service. Learn more at criteriaforsuccess.com. This is Arianna Miskell, and today I'm talking to our very own CEO, Charles Bernard, and our operations officer and senior sales advisor, Elizabeth Frederick. CFS recently published an ebook on storytelling and problem solving, and today Charles and Elizabeth are here to share more on why this subject is so relevant to sales leaders. So, since you two have been working on problem solving with clients for over a decade, please be encouraged to share some stories as we go through the podcast. Now, let's start with the first question Why is it important for salespeople to be problem solvers in the first place? Um, I'm going to actually steal a line that Charles has used in just about every sales training um, I think he's probably ever done. Uh-oh. Yeah, I've been here 11 years, so I know lots of these lines. People don't care about you. They care about themselves more than they care about you. Your prospects are not sitting there just waiting with bated breath to hear all about your products. They're concerned about the issues within their own businesses. They're concerned about um, not hitting their numbers or or their products that aren't working properly, or um, you know, in our case, they're, they're concerned that their sales are down. And the, so if you don't come in with that problem-focused mindset, if you don't come in looking for problems and you're just there to talk about your product, to talk about your features, you're kind of ships passing in the night. You're talking about things that they don't care about. They're bored. They're, they're sitting there just you know waiting for you to leave so that they can get back to work on, on what they really care about. So you need that problem-focused mindset in order to really connect to where prospects are. You know, that's very interesting, Elizabeth. I do believe I've said that numerous times, so I can't argue with you. <laughs> but I would say before, because the question was, why is it important for salespeople to be problem solvers in the first place? I think there's a step before that, and that's mm-hmm. being able to diagnose problems. Mm-hmm. So being a good problem solver, for sure, is one skill. But I think if you want to kick it up a notch and be a really good salesperson or even a great salesperson, be good at problem diagnosing, like figuring out what the problems are, reading between the lines. It's like going to the doctor's office. You know, you go with a complaint. Maybe you don't know exactly what's bothering you. But you want the doctor to be able to figure out stuff that maybe you're not aware of and then come back to you with a solution. But in terms of answering the question directly, why is it important for people, for salespeople to be problem solvers in the first place? Besides the fact that people care about solving problems, I think selling is done at a much quicker pace than ever. Mm -hmm. And the days of a salesperson saying, great, I now know what your problems are. I'll get back to you and go to the office or go somewhere else and have a subject matter expert interpret the the discussion and come back with a solution. Um, While that's important for a complex sale, I think it's really important to try to shorten that time as much as possible because people don't have a lot of patience these days and people expect things answers quickly. So they don't have time for that. I'll get back to you. They want their sales reps to be able to start diagnosing and solving problems as soon as possible. 
Definitely. Um, I think that's such a great point, Charles, because like you said, uh, sometimes that doctor analogy is perfect. Sometimes people don't really know what their problems are. A lot of times they have a sense of some symptoms of the problem. They know what's going wrong, but they don't know why. And your product or service might be a perfect fit to solve that problem, but they have to kind of go on that journey. So if you as a salesperson can guide them along that journey, helping them to, first of all, discover and align with you. Yes, that is in fact my problem. Um, we, we have a three-step model that we feel buyers need to go through in order to make a purchasing decision. And the first step is that a problem has to be named. And what that means is you have to work together sometimes to discover and diagnose the problem. Sometimes a prospect will come to you and say, this is my problem and that's correct. Then you, you kind of started on first base, that's great. But a lot of times, they're maybe going to be a little hesitant to share, or they might not know. They might say, you know, um, I'm having difficulty tracking things in my warehouse. Okay, well, that could be a lot of different reasons that are causing that. And so you're going to need to get into a problem diagnosing mindset. Then you have to get to the next step. So the problem is named, then buyers have to connect to the problem because objectively they might know they have the problem, but they really need to connect to it at a more emotional um, impactful level. And then the third step, and this is where, back to your, your question, Ariana, I know we've been talking for a while, but why it's so important for salespeople to be problem solvers. For people to buy, you can't just go through those first two steps. It's not just about naming a problem and connecting to a problem. You have to perceive that the solution is an investment, not just a cost. So for example, I could have um, a product that I sell that's like a, some sort of a flooding solution problem. And it could be, you know, maybe if I sell flood insurance and I go to you and I'm like, would you like flood insurance? It's going to be a thousand dollars a month. And you're going to say, I don't necessarily think I need flood insurance. That's nice. It's a nice to have. Yeah, that's a good option. And then if your place floods, or if you hear about a friend whose apartment flooded, um, and somebody comes up to you and talks about the need for flood insurance, and then you start to see, wow, if I don't have flood insurance, I'm gonna be spending money to replace all of my equipment. Um, if I get flood insurance, that's an investment, and then I don't need to pay for all the equipment. Suddenly, you've moved toward wanting to make that buying decision. And so it's literally almost like a switch that gets flipped in somebody's head when they see that difference between an investment and a cost, and it's all tied to problems. So salespeople aren't doing that. Um, they're doing a whole lot more work than they probably need to be doing trying to sell people. So I'm sorry, I talked a lot. No, that's good. <laughs> awesome, yeah. So it's definitely important to be a problem solver in sales. So I guess the next question would be, how can sales managers encourage their team members to be problem solvers? And what are some challenges they might face while doing this and how would they move past them? Okay, ready for this? Sales managers, if you're listening, First thing I would recommend, and, and Elizabeth will know this because she's seen me in lots of sales trainings, stop encouraging your salespeople to ask this question. Oh, <laughs> I know the question. Because <laughs> every time it gets asked, I feel like, I get really angry. And the question is, what keeps you up at night? And the reason that indigestion, <laughs> indigestion my barking dogs, my screaming kids, it's just too broad a question. And back to what we were talking about earlier, if you want to help people, as Elizabeth, Elizabeth said, name a problem, zero in on the problem, 
have questions that really zero in on those specific problems. So as a sales manager, help your salespeople come up with some good questions. I know Elizabeth's going to jump in and add to what I said, but <laughs> I got to get that stop saying what keeps you up at night point. You're so nice and concise, Charles. I appreciate it. Um, the other thing that I think sales managers can really help their salespeople with is helping them um, work with the fact that a lot of times when you walk in, especially for an in-person meeting, but this will even happen if you're doing a demo or a phone call, if you get on the phone and, um, and start the meeting with the prospect and say, what would you like to talk about today? Or why do you think we're here today? They'll say, show me what you got, right? And prospects pull salespeople into a mode of just presenting. Tell me about all your features and benefits. Give me the demo, give me all this information. And if a salesperson isn't prepared, or if they feel like they're expected to just follow along with where the prospect goes, they're going to really go off track. And so as a sales manager, first of all, you need to give your salespeople permission to drive meetings and say, no, it's not your job to go there and just present if the person asks you to present. That doesn't mean you're rude, but you can say, you know, I, I don't know exactly what I need to present to you. Can I ask you a few questions first? And um, and so as a sales manager, giving them permission and then role practice with them. Make sure they understand how do you deal with a prospect who's going to push back like that? How do you realign the conversation to get back on track? And by the way, it's best to have an agenda. And so if you send the agenda and follow the agenda, a lot of times your prospect will just follow right along. So training and developing that skill within your team, resisting um, that urge that so many prospects seem to have to just pull you into presenting mode is going to be a, a really key skill for managers to focus on. And I, I can't help but say this, but some of the listeners may have missed uh, Elizabeth's phraseology. She said role practice. Now, a lot of people say role play. And I had heard from a trainer many years ago, and we've kind of incorporated his point into our language, which is, it's not play. You're not role playing your role. It's practice. You're role practicing. So I just wanted to make sure that got stated as well. Definitely. Solving another problem. <laughs> awesome. So this one is kind of a similar question, but it would be just a little bit more detailed. So what are the tools that we use with our clients to enable problem solving in sales? All right, I'm going to jump in on this one first. And Charles kind of teased it in his answer to the last question. So remember how Charles said you need to have good questions to ask? Um, it should not be that your sales team just walks into a meeting, you know, a salesperson walks into a meeting and hopes that a good question just kind of falls from the sky and lands on their tongue and they just say it. That is not necessarily the best practice. You shouldn't close your eyes and just, you know, wish that a good question comes to you. Instead, you should have a tool where you collect the best questions to ask. And those questions maybe should be aligned with what are the problems that you solve? And ideally, when you solve those problems, it's with the features and benefits of your offering. And by the way, rather than just talking about those, what if you told stories? So those four things, questions, problems, solutions or features, benefits, and stories are the key elements in a tool that we call the problem opportunity matrix. And if you download the ebook um, that Ariana mentioned in the intro, as well as the second ebook that we'll include um, information about in the show notes for today, um, you can see what that problem opportunity matrix looks like. But it's literally just a simple table where you take your offering and you spell out which, which, what problems do each of your features and benefits solve? 
What questions could salespeople ask to expose if prospects have those problems? And then how can you tell stories about them? It seems in some ways simple, if I explained it clearly enough, but it is an incredibly powerful tool and it really turns into a lot of different sales tools. And I think Charles can talk a little bit about one of the key tools that you use based on the problem opportunity matrix. Sure. So the problem opportunity matrix, as Elizabeth just described, drives four fundamental selling behaviors, asking good questions, revealing problems, sharing solutions, and telling stories. So think of a matrix like an Excel spreadsheet. So if you're going to do a bunch of those, and we recommend anywhere between 10 and 20, so 10 and 20 of each, when you've completed the matrix, you'll have a column uh, the second column, which is problems. You want to take all those problems and create a new document and put a title on that document that says common problems we solve, or if you prefer common problems our clients experience. So what's going to happen is you'll have a document with a heading and underneath it, there'll be all those problems that you copied from your problem opportunity matrix. To the right of each one of those problems, is a space, in other words, another column for you or your prospect, preferably your prospect, your buyer, to be able to check off if any of those problems are ones they resonate with or they have. So imagine you walk into a meeting, you hand someone a list of problems, and they go, yep, I got this one, yep, I got that one. They've literally identified the problem and given you an agenda for your meeting. And if you think about what I said earlier, with how fast business is getting done today. People really give you 30 minutes. They used to give you an hour. People don't have the, the time that they, they used to give you. This document of common problems helps to zero in very quickly on concerns that someone might resonate with. And by the way, if you walk in with that list of common problems, you've asked 20 questions without asking 20 questions. You don't have to say, tell me about this problem. Tell me about that problem. You're literally presenting a list of problems that encourage someone to um, identify concerns very quickly. And of course, reinforces my point earlier, which is you're not asking what keeps you up at night. Definitely not. And it's an incredibly powerful tool as well when you're selling to a group if you've got multiple people who are in a meeting and each person has that list of common problems, let's say there are three people in the room and everybody circles problem three um, and one person circles problem seven and one person circles problem nine, then you can have a conversation and get them all on the same page. Maybe they are experiencing problem seven and nine and they didn't even know about it between the two of them. And so that alone is helping again, name the problem as well as helping each of them connect to a problem that they might not have even been aware of. Um, another tool that's that might seem a little counterintuitive, but I'm gonna take a step back from this kind of, we're talking about in the sales meeting and in sales conversations all the way back to when you're first reaching out to prospects and you're first meeting prospects. And in both your 30-second introductions and in email templates that you send, you should be focusing on problems rather than focusing on kind of the features of your company. So, so often people will give an introduction and they'll say, you know, my name is Elizabeth Frederick. I work with Criteria for Success and we do this thing and this thing and this thing. And all of those things are very positive they're focused on what we do and what we accomplish. 
And again, that's not going to resonate with your prospects nearly as much as if you were to say, you know, I'm Elizabeth Frederick with Criteria for Success. And we work with companies like yours who struggle with this problem, this problem, this problem. That's going to be significantly more impactful for the person that you're talking to. So whether it's a verbal 30 second intro, you're meeting people at events, or even if you're making a cold call, you can use it. Not many of us are making cold calls anymore, but some people still do. I still get them, so people are making them. <laughs> uh, but also for email templates. And a lot of people send these emails. They're like, you know, do you wanna talk to me? Here's how great I am. Here's how wonderful we are. Instead, the emails that we tend to open, at least for me, and when I talk to people are, if, if the subject line of the email is a problem that I have, I'm at least interested to see what they're gonna say about a potential solution. And so that problem focus can go all the way back to basic tools like email templates and intros. I have two more. Um, <laughs> so keep them uh, coming, they're I'm great. I'm gonna ask Charles actually to talk about one, um, which is the deal email. So after we send, after we go on meetings, so there's a reason that we wanna include problems in the conversation moving forward. You wanna tell people about that, Charles? Okay. <laughs> so the deal email is a email that you send after a meeting and it's designed to keep your prospect engaged and it's designed to be action oriented and action oriented for the purposes of this discussion is focused on solving those problems. So your deal email has four parts to it. In other words, the, the four pieces that people really care about, you and your buyer or your prospect. So after you've said something nice and polite, like thank you for that nice meeting we had, keep that part short, don't get into a whole long story, um, confirm a next step. In other words, an action item right up front. So I'm confirming our meeting next Tuesday at 10 a.m. The reason I like confirming is it implied that you actually agreed to it in the meeting. If for some reason you hadn't agreed to a next step in the meeting, then you wouldn't write that down. But instead, you might put in a request. You know, I'd like to meet. Here's a date. I'll send you a calendar invite, whatever. So the first thing I want to just point out is the calls to action are at the top of the email because I'm sensitive to the fact that the person I'm sending that email to is getting 100 to 200 emails a day. Mm -hmm. and their attention span is really, really short. So if I want to get that person's attention and ask for something or call out an action item, I'm not going to do it at the bottom where there's a high likelihood they may never, never have actually made it to the bottom of the email, but I'm going to call that out at the top. The next thing about the deal email is to really point out a summary of the meeting in four areas. So rather than you said this, I said this, we discussed this, Again, paragraphs are going to get that email not read. I would recommend you break it out into four key components. One, what are the goals of the buyer? And that goes back to what Elizabeth, you were saying about naming problems. Mm -hmm. So I would number the bullets. So here are your goals that I heard. One, two, three, four, five. People love numbers and it's easy to reference. So if I index those points, like if I say, a, your goal is one, two, three, four, and you have a question, you can say, A2, don't understand. Very quickly for you to respond. Yeah, and I just want to jump in. When you're listing the goals in that section, you need to use strong problem-oriented words when you're talking about what they're looking to improve. And again, a lot of people um, resort to kind of happy fluffy. <laughs> you know, you want to be super positive. But instead, um, you know, when you're listing your goals, resolve 
you know, malfunctions in this process, resolve discrepancies between key points of data. Yeah. Um, you want to use those strong problem-oriented words to keep everybody who sees this email focused on, yeah, these are the problems we're solving for. That keeps people connected to the problem. And it's just a really important way to maintain momentum with the different people that get involved right. in the sales process, as well as just as time goes by. <laughs> you know, you had a meeting, everything was really intense in that meeting, you're on the same page. If your email doesn't include the problems as a follow-up, you're kind of losing some momentum. Sorry to interrupt, Charles. No, no, no. I think what a really I, important thing to focus on. No, I hear you. I think what what you're saying, Elizabeth, is you don't want to list anything that's a goal as a nice to have. Because mm -hmm. nice to haves are like, um, I don't need to spend money on nice to haves, but I need to spend money on fixing problems because if I don't take care of something, it's going to cost me down the line. So. First section, your goals, one, two, three, four, five, six, whatever they are. More than six, I think, is too many. Um, section two, this is important. Ask people for stuff, make requests, you know, what we need from you. Because if you can ask someone to give you something, number one, they're more likely to be invested in the sales cycle and to be invested in solving the problem with you. And frankly, think about it, if it's a consultative solution cell in particular, the, the chances are you are going to need information. So what might you need? You might need uh, information about the current state. If it's a technical sale, you might need something like a diagram, a layout of, of something. You might need uh, content information. And don't forget, you might need access to other people. So call that out. So for us to do our job, we need these four things and list those out. Third area is what are you going to do? So if I got the goals right, I'm asking you to do something or a bunch of things, here's what I'm going to do. And you list that out. And then at the end, it's like, what are the desired outcomes? That's your last section. Like, what are we shooting for? How can you make a decision? And usually it's like budgets approved, the stakeholders for the rest of the organization relative to this initiative report in. And um, I've given you a scope of work document. So if I give you a scope of work document or a proposal, you can make a decision to move forward. That's what we're talking about when we say a deal email. Definitely. Um, so it, those last two might have been a little counterintuitive. When you think about problems, a lot of times people are just focused in the meeting. But I wanted to include those tools because I think it's really important to think about how do you focus on problems throughout the whole sales cycle. I have one more thing, and we've kind of touched on this, but I want to emphasize it before we move on. And it's um, making sure you send a meeting agenda in advance of a meeting when you're going to have either a phone call or an in-person prospecting meeting and spell out in there that you're going to be asking discovery questions. You can phrase it in whatever way you want. You could say, you know, uh, identify problems or... Actually, you know, I've actually said to, to that point, here are the four key questions I'm going to ask. Absolutely. And people have actually responded before the meeting with mm -hmm. information, which helps me be better prepared. You, you stole the words right out of my mouth. It's best Sorry. to send the agenda in advance. And if you've got specific questions, especially a short list, you can send the questions. The common problems tool Charles talked about, you can send that in advance. Um, again, people want to do more of the buying themselves as opposed to wanting you to do a lot of the selling. They want to feel like they're in the driver's seat. So if you can give them this information and they can process it, you're going to make your whole meeting a lot more efficient and more effective. And prospects really appreciate that. They don't want to feel like you're kind of tiptoeing around and like going back and forth and lots of 
kind of wasted time, they appreciate efficiency and professionalism. And so just using things like sending agendas in advance can be a really valuable tool. So I think we've given like six different tools. I think Ariana can include in the show notes. We've got a lot of eBooks and resources that talk about um, the different templates that we discussed. Yes, and I've been writing them all down. So they will be in the show notes. Again, that is criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 163, where you can find them. Um, So for the next question, I know we just talked about a bunch of tools that we work with for clients. So feel free to apply this to something other than the problem opportunity matrix, but what are some of the breakthroughs that you guys have witnessed after a client implemented a problem opportunity matrix or in general a problem solving tool with cfs so i think we've spent a lot of time talking about the content the format of the problem opportunity matrix i'll tell you that if you're a busy sales manager or you're leading salespeople one of the biggest issues you're going to have is transferring knowledge, meaning Mm -hmm. best practices. Like two people on the team, they seem to have all the best practices locked up in their heads. And if you have a team of 10, the other eight are sort of playing catch up, trying to figure out what is it that the two that are constantly hitting quota are doing that I'm missing. And a tool like this, I think, is a great start for knowledge transfer, meaning Let's break apart the best practices. What are the best questions we should be asking? What are the problems we're solving? How do we answer with the solutions? What are the features and benefits? And more importantly, especially if I'm new to the team, Mm -hmm. how can I get a story from one of those vets that have been on the team for a long time that I can use to demonstrate the value of our solution? So sharing stories, having an inventory, A library of stories is a byproduct of the problem opportunity matrix. I've seen it as so to recap, I've seen it as a great training tool, not only for new people, but for people who've been on a team for a while. And I think it's a great knowledge transfer tool. Definitely. It's amazing how often you see that people are telling the same three stories. You know, each sales rep on the team has the same three stories that they personally were involved with. And just by getting everybody together to share each of theirs, suddenly they have a vast, you know, potential library of success stories. The, what Charles was talking about there is really one of the key benefits of the problem opportunity matrix. It actually changes the way your employees, your salespeople think about your offering. A lot of times we're trained on the features and the benefits. We're trained on the solution. And that's what we know how to talk about. That's what we think about. Um, We can, you know, detail every little bit of the specs. But if you can flip that and train your salespeople to think about the problems that you solve, that's that's a complete mindset change that people have gone through. It's a breakthrough. And the process of building out the problem opportunity matrix, it's something that you do with your team. And you know you want to get your salespeople involved. You're changing the way they they think about sales. You're changing the way they think about your offering. What's also interesting when you're taking this deep dive into your offering, we have seen a number of clients identify new areas to develop their products and their services. So let's say I'm looking at the problem opportunity matrix, and I say we're solving this problem, and we're solving this related problem, and this other related problem. There's this other related problem that we don't have a solution for. You know, we've got three quarters of, of a solution, but we notice that there's a gap. Sometimes that's just how it is. You know, you don't do everything. 
But a lot of times, if you're interested in expanding your offering, interested in potentially solving new things for your clients, you might say, hey, this is a good opportunity for us to um, develop a new product or service. It's, you know, you, you've got something new to sell, you've expanded your potential market, and you're a better value to your, um, to your customers. We've done this internally where um, we've, you know, as we're out there talking to people and hearing about the problems they have, we might hear over and over again about a problem. Um, so for example, we didn't used to really talk to our clients about marketing. We'd talk to them about sales and we'd solve a lot of problems related to sales. But then we were hearing a lot about problems that people were having with, we're not getting leads from marketing. We're not getting leads from the website. We really need to get leads from marketing. And it was a problem that consistently came up. And because we're a problem focused company, we thought, hey, do we have a solution that might help resolve that, uh, help solve that problem? And so we developed uh, a marketing consulting uh, program that, uh, that is part of our engagement with our clients to help clients who are struggling in that area. And so if you go through a, a really robust exercise of really thinking about your offering and thinking about how do you communicate it in a problem-focused way, you might find some gaps that, um, that would be a really big benefit to your company if you were to solve them. Awesome. That was all great information. So for the last question, as always, we saved this one. I think I know what it is. (laughs) I think everyone probably knows what it is. But do you two have any actionable tips for sales leaders to build to build out a problem solving section in their sales playbook? I will jump in right now and say that obviously the actionable tip is going to be build a problem opportunity (laughs) matrix. We all know I'm going to say that. Stole it, Charles. (laughs) However, it's how you go about building it that I Mm -hmm. want to recommend make some recommendations around. So first recommendation is have a cross-functional team build the problem opportunity matrix. So you would think, oh, this is a sales tool. We should have sales develop it. I would think that's a mistake. Get marketing involved, get operations involved. People who actually deliver on what's been sold can provide amazing insights. And oftentimes they're the ones that are actually doing the problem solving. Customer service. If you have a customer service team, they're the ones who hear what customers really care about because they're on the phone with them. So if you're catching my drift, you've got this room full of people and each one's looking at selling, solving problems, delivering on what's been sold, providing solutions. If we can get all of that wonderful knowledge channeled in the right way by building this problem opportunity matrix, you're going to get a a, a ton of um, knowledge transfer and learning from each other and, and obviously seeing everybody's different uh, perspective. And then lastly, I think you can use a lot of this content that's been de- de- developed in the problem opportunity matrix to drive other parts of the organization, especially marketing. Definitely. So marketing, when writing content, it's always nice to know what problem are we focusing on this month or this week when we write a blog. So I think having a list of problems can also be, meaning the outcome of this exercise with a list of problems can also be a good driver for other things that you're doing in the organization, especially marketing. Definitely. One follow-up to that is when you want to develop that tool, the common problems tool Charles was talking about, if you've built a really long problem opportunity matrix, I just want to encourage you to filter that down 
when you develop your list of common problems. You're not going to take every problem necessarily. You might filter it by industry. So here are the common problems that we solve for people in the staffing industry. Here are the common problems we solve for manufacturing companies. Well, here are the common problems we solve for this part of our business or this offering or this product. Definitely. Or for companies of this size. Here are the common problems we see in small businesses. Here are the common problems we see at an enterprise level. You could get kind of crazy here and have 10,000 different lists. I don't recommend that. But really think about building that out as, as a robust sales tool where you've got a lot of different options. And one final um, thing, if you want to build out a, an actual problem-solving section in your sales playbook, that library of success stories that Ariana talked about, or Charles or somebody talked about, <laughs> I think it was Charles now that I think about it, um, that's really key. And having, um, having a library of all the different success stories that have been collected uh, over time is really key to that problem-focused sale because in your success stories, you should be talking about problems. What problem did you solve that caused the success? And so um, it's part of it's all part of the same whole thing, but centered around the problem opportunity matrix. Definitely. So thank you both for your amazing contributions. Um, I think this is a really great episode. And while we could talk about this all day, probably, I think it's time to wrap it up. So if you guys want to learn more or you want to find any of the resources that we talked about, please visit the show notes at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod163. Uh, you'll find the ebook we wrote last month as well as ebooks on a bunch of the tools we talked about today. And tune in next week when Elizabeth will be interviewing Greg Dickinson. He's the CEO of Omedim. 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 Excuse my mispronunciation, Greg. Um, It's a company dedicated to creating more sales through searchable on-demand demos. And all month, we're talking about problem solving on the CFS blog. So check it out at criteriaforsuccess.com slash blog. And if you enjoyed the show, as always, please subscribe to our podcast via Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Your ratings really matter. We'd love to read them. So please let us know what you think. And Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskell, Elizabeth Frederick, and Laura Marchoff. Happy selling.